Welcome to Grim Gossip. Before we start the show, I want to give a proper warning. The episode you are about to hear may include grim details about assault, rape, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Today's case is about Gertrude Benizewski, who was nicknamed the Torture Mother. She was born in 1929 and was the third of six children. She had a close relationship with her father, but not so much with her mother. So it was really difficult for her when she witnessed her father die of a sudden heart attack in 1940. This event was so traumatizing that Gertrude eventually dropped out of school at 16 to marry John Banaszewski in 1945. They went on to have four children together, Paula, Stephanie, John Jr., and Marie. However, their home was very volatile Gertrude was often beaten by John in front of the kids just for annoying him. Despite this, they were married for 10 years before they got divorced. In the divorce, Gertrude was granted full custody of the kids. Within a year of her divorce from John, she met a man named Edward Guthrie, who she married quickly. Unfortunately for her, Edward won a divorce after three months because he couldn't stand to be around her kids. But within this tragedy, she was able to reconcile her relationship with John, and they remarried. They went on to have two more children, Shirley and James, but in their seventh year of remarriage, they divorced for good in 1963. Shortly after her divorce, Gertrude, 37 now, began having an affair with a 23-year-old man named Dennis Wright. They quickly moved in together which is when Dennis began beating her. Gertrude got pregnant twice with Dennis, but suffered a miscarriage due to the abuse. She became pregnant again and gave birth to Dennis Jr., giving her a total of seven children. Through the years, she is said to have suffered six miscarriages, but birthed seven children. Soon after the birth of their child, Dennis Wright Sr. abandoned Gertrude without a word. Since he was supporting her financially, this hit Gertrude hard. Now, she was on her own, supporting seven children. She got a few child support checks, but it wasn't enough to sustain her and the kids, so she began doing people's laundry and babysitting the kids in the neighborhood. This would prove insufficient still, when her oldest daughter, Paula, discovered she was three months pregnant after having an affair with the middle-aged married man. Gertrude's health began to decline severely. She stopped bathing, rarely ate, and is said to have suffered many undiagnosed illnesses. Her appearance also began to degenerate. Her hair began receding and falling out, and her skin appeared to be stretching over the bones of her body, giving her a skeletal appearance. In an attempt to keep up appearances and reputation, she always introduced herself as Mrs. Wright, implying that Dennis had married her before having abandoned her and the kids. In 1965, Gertrude's pregnant daughter, Paula, was introduced to two new neighborhood girls named Sylvia Likens, 16, and Jenny Likens, 15, who wore walking braces due to polio. Paula took the girls back to her house to hang out and listen to music. At the time, Betty Likens, Sylvia and Jenny's mother, kidnapped the girls and left their home. 
She was then arrested and put in jail for shoplifting, which left Sylvia to take care of her sister, since her dad, Lester, was away working with the carnival. Lester had an eighth-grade education, which left him little options for work. He had a laundry route, worked in factories, and even had his own restaurant for a while before it went under. His most steady source of income was traveling with the carnival and selling food from a concession cart, which he is said to have loved doing. When Lester returned from work, he got home to discover it empty. He tracked down his wife at the jail, and they were able to reconcile their relationship. They then went to find their daughters when he ran into one of their neighborhood friends, Darlene McGuire, who pointed them towards the Banaszewski house. When Lester and Betty got to Gertrude's house to get their girls, Gertrude introduced herself as Mrs. Wright. They were having a friendly conversation when Lester told Gertrude that he and Betty had decided to go on the road permanently with the carnival. It's not said who brought this up, but the idea of boarding Sylvia and Jenny at Gertrude's was put out there. $20 a week was the agreed-upon wages for Gertrude boarding the girls. This is equal to $185 in today's economy. Had they stuck around to see what sort of living conditions Gertrude kept her family in, they might have decided differently. Gertrude's house was in disarray. The counters were disgusting. There weren't enough beds for her and her family to sleep on, and the only food in the house was crackers and bread. But Lester and Betty left their girls there and went with the carnival as intended. The initial living situation, minus the hygiene part, went well. Sylvia and Jenny were in school. They went to social events with their friends, and they even went to church on Sundays with Gertrude. But Lester's first payment didn't come through. This enraged Gertrude. She immediately began to berate the girls and slapped them both, saying, quote, I took care of you two bitches for nothing, unquote. She then forced them to bend over so she could beat their bare bottoms with a thick leather belt. The money arrived the following day. It's believed that this one incident was the open door to continue to unleash all her anger on Sylvia and Jenny. Soon after, Lester and Betty came to visit the girls, but they made no mention to their parents about the horrible incident for fear of further repercussions. The following week, Sylvia and Jenny began rummaging through their neighbor's trash, collecting bottles to sell in order to get candy. When they got home with the candy, Gertrude accused the girls of stealing. When Sylvia tried to explain how they got the candy, she was accused of lying and was made to bend over Gertrude's bed where Gertrude proceeded to beat Sylvia across the bottom with a wooden paddle. The belt and the paddle would soon become Gertrude's favorite weapon, but not the only ones. Then the lies began. After a church social event, the Banaszewski kids came home and told their mom how disgusted they were with the amount of food Sylvia was seen eating. Gertrude confronted Sylvia and told her how angry she was that Sylvia would do anything to ruin her physical appearance. As punishment, Sylvia was forced to eat multiple hot dogs, so piled with condiments, you couldn't see the hot dog anymore. Try as she might, Sylvia was unable to keep this down, so she threw up, which made Gertrude mad all over again for wasting food. She was then forced to scoop up her vomit and consume it. All of it. 
otherwise she would receive another beating. Lester and Betty came to visit the girls once again, but the girls were instructed not to say anything to their parents or they would receive another beating, so they didn't. Soon, when Gertrude was too weak or exhausted to beat the girls herself, she brought Paula, her pregnant daughter, into the fold, and horrifyingly enough, Jenny was forced into beating Sylvia as well, otherwise she would have to take her sister's place. One day, Gertrude accused Sylvia of stealing from her, so she burned Sylvia's fingertips with a lit cigarette. Another day, she overheard Sylvia claim that she allowed a boy to feel her up. Gertrude flew into a rage, accusing Sylvia of being a prostitute, telling the rest of the household that Sylvia was pregnant because she had allowed a boy to touch her crotch. In response to this, Paula threw Sylvia from the chair she sat in and Gertrude kicked her in the crotch repeatedly. From then on, Sylvia had to ask permission to sit in a chair. This began the ritualistic beatings from the rest of the household. This includes kicking, hitting, pushing her down the stairs, slamming her into walls and onto the floor, and burning her with cigarettes. They even put salt in her wounds and she was often forced into a scalding hot bath in order to be cleansed. Gertrude continued beating Sylvia while giving sermons on the evils of sexual immorality. All the while, pregnant Paula kicked Sylvia in the crotch and mutilated her genitals. Gertrude's son, John Jr., even took part in the torture, forcing Sylvia to lick clean the diapers of Dennis Jr., the day after this incident, according to Jenny, to get back at Gertrude since her reputation meant so much, Jenny and Sylvia told their classmates that they had seen Paula and Stephanie having sex with boys for money. When Stephanie's boyfriend, Coy Hubbard, found out he went to the house to beat on Sylvia, opening the door for the neighborhood kids to now come to the house to do as they pleased with Sylvia. Gertrude encouraged Coy to come over to practice his judo on Sylvia whenever he wanted. Gertrude then began to make sure the girls were being alienated by everyone. She was able to get Sylvia's best friend, Anna Sisko, alone long enough to convince her that Sylvia had been spreading rumors that her mother was a whore, and Anna believed her. Anna went to their house and unleashed her fury on Sylvia. This same lie was told to one of Paula's friends, which had the same outcome. The only reason it stopped is because Jenny agreed to punch Sylvia. In August of this year, Phyllis and Raymond Vermillion bought the vacant house next door to the Banaszewskis. They had seen the number of kids that Gertrude had cared for and believed she would be a good babysitter for their two young kids, so they arranged a backyard barbecue for the two families to meet. During this gathering, Phyllis noticed Sylvia walking around with a black eye. When Paula noticed Phyllis looking, she proudly announced that she was the one who had given Sylvia the black eye. She then went to get a glass of steaming hot water and splashed it into Sylvia's face while everybody watched. 
They left the Banaszewski home and decided not to go with Gertrude as their babysitter and didn't report it to authorities either. A few months later, Phyllis went back to the Banaszewski home to borrow something and got another glimpse of Sylvia, who now had two swollen lips, a black eye so bad it was swollen shut, and seemed to be dazed. To show Phyllis how this happened, Paula grabbed a belt and beat Sylvia right in front of Phyllis. Again, the authorities were not informed. Not long after this, Sylvia came home from school and told Gertrude she needed an outfit for gym class. Gertrude told her they couldn't afford one, so Sylvia stole one from the school. Eventually, Sylvia was forced into a confession and was beat with the belt and kicked in the crotch repeatedly. She was called a prostitute and Gertrude burnt her fingertips in an attempt to cure her sticky fingers. The whole household was then instructed to put their cigarettes out on Sylvia as a reminder for her not to steal. In order to get money, Sylvia went rummaging through trash cans for bottles to sell again. When Gertrude found the money, she accused Sylvia of prostitution, but her punishment would be different this time. She was brought into the living room where Gertrude's sons were with their friends, forced to strip completely naked and forced to perform sexual acts to herself with a bottle while everyone watched. From here on out, Sylvia was forced to be naked around the house the majority of the time. Sylvia had been beaten so severely that she then became unable to hold her bowel movements. She wet the mattress one night and Gertrude decided that she was no longer fit to live with humans, so Gertrude locked her in the basement naked and with no food or access to a bathroom, forcing Sylvia to defecate and urinate on the floor. When Gertrude discovered this, she upped Sylvia's bathing regimen. Now, however, Sylvia's hands and ankles were tied before she was put into a scalding hot bath. Sometimes it happened multiple times a day. At this point, Gertrude recruited a 14-year-old boy named Ricky Hobbs as her personal assistant when handling Sylvia. This was surprising considering Ricky was an honor student who had never been in any legal trouble previously. Gertrude's kids decided to monetize on Sylvia's pain and embarrassment. They began charging the neighborhood kids to come see Sylvia's naked body or to push her down the stairs to the basement where she was now living. When Gertrude got tired of the smell from the basement, she and John Jr. would force Sylvia to clean the basement. And by clean, they forced her to eat her own feces and drink her own urine. Around this time, Jenny managed to make contact with her older sister Diana, who was married and had a family of her own. Jenny told Diana about the horrors they've endured and told her to call the police. But Diana chalked this up to the girls just not being happy with their living situation and that they just wanted to come live with her. One of the neighborhood girls went home to tell her mom about what was happening to Sylvia in that house. But the girl's mom said that that's what happened when someone is being punished. Concerned for her sister's living situation still, Diana went by the house to check on them 
but Gertrude refused her entrance to the house or to her sisters. She said that Lester had instructed her not to allow Diana to see the girls. When Diana questioned this, Gertrude threatened to call the police for trespassing, so Diana left. But she didn't go far. She hid near the house until she saw Jenny and tried to talk to her. But Jenny said she couldn't talk to her and got so scared she ran away. Diana then decided to call social services to do a welfare check. When the social workers got there, Gertrude informed them that she had kicked Sylvia out for being dirty and being a prostitute and had since run away. She pulled Jenny aside to speak to her privately and told Jenny that if she breathed a word of the truth to the social workers, Jenny would be joining her sister naked in the basement. So Jenny lied and said her sister had run away. The social worker took these statements as true and reported that no more visits needed to be made to the Banaszewski home. On October 20th, a neighborhood boy named Robert Hanlon came by the house claiming one of the Banaszewski boys had stolen things from him. He was demanding the return of his items, but Gertrude refused, so he attempted to sneak into the house to get his things. Gertrude called the cops and Robert was arrested. Phyllis went to the cops to speak on Robert's behalf, but still did not mention anything about Sylvia or what was happening in that house. The next day, Gertrude instructed John Jr. and Stephanie to bring Sylvia up from the basement and tie her to the bed. If she could hold her bladder through the night, she'd be able to sleep upstairs again. But of course, she couldn't. When Gertrude checked on Sylvia in the morning to discover a wet bed, Sylvia was made to dress, only to be brought down to the living room to perform a strip tease for the neighborhood boys as well as her sons. She was, again, forced to perform sexual acts to herself with a bottle until she climaxed. When this was done, Sylvia was allowed to get dressed, but Gertrude decided to revive the lies which Sylvia made up about Paula and Stephanie and said, quote, You have branded my daughters, so I will brand you, unquote. Sylvia was then stripped naked again, tied down and gagged while one of the kids took a hot sewing needle to her skin, writing out, quote, I'm a prostitute and proud of it, unquote. They attempted to give her another tattoo that messed up the first letter, which was an S, but accidentally made a three instead. She not only had this horrible tattoo, but also suffered from third-degree burns now. Gertrude then asked Sylvia, quote, what are you going to do now, Sylvia? You can't get married now. You can't undress in front of anyone. What are you going to do now? Unquote. To which Sylvia responded, quote, I guess there's nothing I can do. It's on there. Unquote. In the middle of the night, when everyone was asleep, Jenny was able to sneak down to see her sister. Sylvia told her, quote, I'm going to die. I can tell. Unquote. Shortly after Jenny's visit to Sylvia, Gertrude brought Sylvia upstairs and allowed her to sleep in one of the beds. She was allowed to sleep until noon, which was when Gertrude woke her up 
and took her to the bathroom to give her a nice, warm bath instead of a scalding hot one. Paula then dressed Sylvia, then Gertrude told Sylvia to write a letter and also told her what to write. The letter said, quote, Dear Mr. and Mrs. Likens, I went with a gang of boys in the middle of the night, and they said that they would pay me if I would give them something, so I got in the car and they all got what they wanted. And when they finished, they beat me up and left sores on my face and all over my body. And they also put on my stomach, I am a prostitute and proud of it. I have done just about everything that I could do to make Gertie mad and cost Gertie more money than she's got. I've tore up a new mattress and peed on it. I've also cost Gertie doctor bills that she really can't pay and made Gertie a nervous wreck and all her kids." Unquote. Gertrude then began to make plans on where they would leave her body where she could just die. Sylvia overheard this and tried to run. She got to the front door, but she was so emaciated and weak that Gertrude quickly caught her and brought her back into the house. She was brought into the kitchen where Gertrude made her some toast. Sylvia tried to eat it, but she couldn't swallow anything, so Gertrude took down the kitchen curtain rod and beat Sylvia in the mouth with it. With help from her assistant, Coy, Gertrude continued to beat her until she passed out. When she woke back up, Gertrude kicked her in the head. John Jr. took Sylvia back to the basement and tied her to the bed while Gertrude prepared a plate of crackers for her. When she attempted to feed Sylvia the crackers, Sylvia said, quote, Feed it to the dog. It's hungrier than I am. Unquote. Gertrude responded by punching Sylvia in the stomach before leaving the basement. The next day, Gertrude went downstairs with her assistant, Coy. She attempted to bludgeon Sylvia, first with a wooden chair, but she missed and broke the chair against the wall. Then she grabbed her paddle, but swung it so far out that it came back and she hit herself in the face, blackening her own eye. Because of these failed attempts, Coy stepped in to help, beating Sylvia unconscious with a broomstick. During that night, with what little strength she had left, Sylvia beat the floor of the basement all night with the metal part of a shovel until the morning. That morning, Gertrude wanted to give Sylvia another nice bath, so Sylvia was brought upstairs and placed in the tub fully clothed, but she was taken back out quickly when they realized she wasn't breathing. Stephanie tried to administer CPR, but it was too late. Sylvia was already dead. In an attempt to cover this up, Gertrude instructed her kids to bring Sylvia back down to the basement, strip her naked, then go to a payphone to call the cops. When they arrived at the house, Gertrude gave them the letter she had forced Sylvia to write, sticking to her story. In the middle of all of this, Jenny was able to whisper to a cop, quote, get me out of here and I'll tell you everything, unquote. The statement, coupled with the discovery of Sylvia's body, prompted them to arrest Gertrude immediately, but not just her. They also arrested Paula, who was still pregnant, Stephanie, John Jr., 
McCoy and Ricky for murder and multiple other neighborhood kids for injury to a person. The neighborhood kids who were arrested for injury to a person were eventually dismissed, but those arrested for murder were held without bail. Sylvia's body was discovered in multiple stages of healing, most injuries being fresh. Her autopsy revealed she had over 100 cigarette burns, multiple second and third degree burns, severe bruising, and muscle and nerve damage. The vaginal cavity was almost swollen shut, and in death, Sylvia had bitten through both her lips, almost severing each of them. Paula was convicted of second-degree murder. She appealed her conviction and was granted a new trial, but before it began, she was offered a plea bargain and pled guilty to voluntary manslaughter. She served three years in prison, and then she was paroled. John Jr., Ricky, and Coy were each convicted of involuntary manslaughter, but because they were underage, they were only sentenced to 18 months in juvenile detention. When Ricky got out, the things he had done had begun to take a toll on his mental health. He picked up chain smoking and continuously had nervous breakdowns. By 21, he died from lung cancer. During Gertrude's trial, her lawyers tried to pass the blame onto the children, stating Gertrude's mind had deteriorated and that she was weak and this was all the kids doing. To corroborate this, one of her daughters, Marie, was brought to the stand, but Marie was so guilt-ridden that she had confessed everything on the stand. She recounted in great detail about everything they had done to Sylvia. Due to this confession, Gertrude was found guilty of first-degree murder, which did not include the death penalty, only life in prison without parole. She appealed her conviction and was granted a new trial. She, again, was found guilty, but this time she was sentenced to 18 years to life in prison, meaning she would be up for parole after she served 18 years. During her time in prison, she became a model prisoner. They even nicknamed her Mom. When her parole hearing came up, Jenny Likens and her parents appeared in a TV interview to speak out against Gertrude's hearing. Two large groups from the Protect the Innocent and the Society's League Against Molestation groups traveled to Indiana in support of the Likens family to oppose the hearing. They collected over 4,500 signatures demanding that Gertrude be kept in prison. But despite all of their work, she was released anyway. During her hearing, Gertrude made the following confession, quote, I'm not sure what role I had in it because I was on drugs. I never really knew her. I take full responsibility for whatever happened to Sylvia, unquote. She was a free woman on December 4th, 1985, just 20 years after Sylvia Likens was found dead. She moved to Iowa under a new name where she died of lung cancer in 1990 at the age of 60. Paula also moved to Iowa under a new name where it's believed she is still alive and lives on a farm in the countryside. John Jr. changed his name to John Blake and worked as a truck driver, then as a real estate agent 
then a lay minister. He has not since been arrested again, is married with children, and has chosen to live his life in anonymity. He also confessed to his role in the murder and took full responsibility for his part, stating, quote, a harsher sentence would have been more just, unquote. And that is where the case ends. If you guys enjoyed today's episode, there's many more to come. Hit the subscribe button so that you get notifications when new episodes drop. If you have any suggestions, send them my way at grimgossippod at gmail.com and follow me on Instagram at grimgossippod. All websites used for the research is in the show notes if you guys want to take a deeper dive into this case. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Thank you.